Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is sponsored by BT, because BT means business. BT knows that businesses come in many shapes, sizes, and guises, from the person just starting out at their kitchen table to the biggest employer, which is why no matter what line of work you're in, they've got your back to help you succeed and do what you do best. No doubt connectivity is a must in Westminster, and it certainly helped us to get this episode created and distributed to you listening right now. BT already connects more than 1 million businesses and public sector organisations, offering secure and reliable connectivity. Nearly three quarters of people running a business or side hustle feel they couldn't do so without reliable broadband and mobile connectivity. That's why having connectivity you can count on is a must for business, whether it be facilitating multiple devices being connected at once or making team calls or guest Wi-Fi access for customers. BT's connectivity helps keep you and your customers happy. Whatever your business, BT's got your back. Search BT's got your back. Hello, this is the Redbox Podcast. I'm Matt Chorley, bringing you the best of my times radio show. Don't forget, you can listen live Monday to Friday, 10 to 1 on your DAB radio, on your smart speaker, or download the Times Radio app. Hope you had a good coronation weekend, however you were marking it. And uh, unusually, I'm here for a bank holiday, which means we've been mucking about. We've been doing a battle of the political bands. MPs, MSPs, researchers who sing and warble and interfere with pianos and guitars. We've been whittling them down on my show. You'll find out who won at the end of the pot. Right, coming up in our big thing at 11 today, we look at the politics of music and particularly playing live. We've got the lead singer of Wheatus joining us for that. Before that, though, as ever, we kick off with the columnists. The Columnists with Libby Rachie, Libby Purvis and Rachel Sylvester on Times Radio. And we say hello to Libby Purvis. Hello, Libby. Hello. And hello to Rachel Sylvester. Hi. Nice to be with you. So uh, after all the fun of the coronation on Saturday, the concert last night, today it's all about volunteering. Uh, the King inviting millions of Britons to support causes in their local community on Bank Holiday Monday with the big help outs. What do you make of the sort of the state of volunteering right now, Libby? I think this is a good idea. I think I should probably stagger out and help to fill some rabbit rabbit holes on a pitch in the village this afternoon. Uh, I, I think a lot of volunteering ended or, or was, was very much reduced with COVID and the great everybody lurk indoors forever movement. And I think it's a good way of cementing different ages and kinds of people together when it's well run. Um, there is a rather fascinating bitter irony here that some of the people who got arrested the other night were metropolitan police back volunteers who were busy handing out flip-flops and rape alarms to lone, helpless, hopeless women in Soho. And um, the police, apparently, some of them thought the rape alarms were the ones planning to throw at police horses uh, the next day. And so it's it's sort of, there's a bitter irony there. You know, these were actually volunteers and apparently they were actually in some kind of uniform. But obviously the local police hadn't been completely warned of this. 
Um, and uh, Rachel, do you, I mean, it was a long time ago since we had the the big society from David Cameron. Is the big help out uh, the next the next version of that? Well, I think it's. A, I agree with Libby. It's a great idea, and that sort of sense of public service, you know, community action, if you like, is one of the things that the royal family is best at: going to meet people, helping, uh, giving back in that way. But one thing I think is interesting is that that one of the reasons that I think explains the fall off is that that kind of thing's been completely drummed out of the education system. So it's all so much now about exams, about mm. sort of grades, about discipline. There's no room or time for any of those more character building activities that used to happen in schools. And when we did the Times Education Commission, one of our recommendations, in fact, was that volunteering should be part of the assessment process um, at 18. And they do that with the International Baccalaureate. You you have to do some kind of service in order to get your qualification. And we said that with our British Baccalaureate, there should be something similar. So that just a reminder to young people that there's more, you know, it's a sort of version of that uh, edu- understanding the cost of everything and the value of nothing. Education is about more than just the grades that you can get. Actually, um, Libby, I was sort of thinking about this. This is somewhere where actually the royal family can play quite a strong role, whether it was the Duke of Edinburgh Award, which involves, uh, you have to do a certain amount of volunteering, the Prince's Trust, which is why lots of the celebrities were at the coronation. Um, And actually, yesterday in our town, there was a a coronation parade made up almost entirely of volunteering groups, scouts, guides, cubs, cadets, and all of that. And actually, that sort of sense of that's the the role of of the royal family... Um, I think resonates far beyond, you know, actually having huge enthusiasm for a hereditary monarchy. Absolutely. And I mean, it's the mix. I mean, the great thing in a good volunteering project, there is a mix and you will get older people, even really sometimes quite old, working alongside or with in an amiable manner with much younger people. And one of the great sort of sadnesses of people getting older is never, ever being in among enough young people, you know, unless they actually have grandchildren who are constantly are with them. You know, you, <laughs> you don't get to meet the new generation. I mean, I know this every time I turn up at Times Radio, I'm absolutely thrilled everybody being 23 or <laughs> Um, Well, I'm a bit older than that, Libby, but I'd take the compliment. But I think volunteering does do that. It does cement people together. It was lovely down on our village green, just seeing everybody roaring around in different generations yesterday. Uh, You know, I think it's, it's... it's a, it's a good thing, and COVID did badly damage it. You know, we have to accept that you know, the numbers went right down and, and they need to be built back up again. Well, we'll see if this uh, if this works to big help out. I suspect the weather might play a big part in that. Uh, in, There's in a the... bit of an unfortunate echo of um, poor old Sunak, some you know, pig out to help out. <laughs> the COVID <laughs> thing. <laughs> the words help out got a bit tainted Yes, it got there. a bit tainted. Um, in fact, I, I, let's move on beautifully, as you've introduced Rishi Sunak to the conversation. Um, I don't know whose idea it was, whether it was the palaces or, or number 10s, but holding the coronation the day after the disastrous local elections means he got a bit of a free pass, didn't he, Rachel? Definitely. I think these results were absolutely disastrous for the Tory party. It was, you know, they were, ministers were going around saying, you know, it might be as bad as a thousand seats lost, which was seen as a sort of expectation management. But in fact, it turned out to be prediction or underestimate of the scale of their loss. Um, And the thing that I think was most interesting to me is that looking at the data, Labour's vote was up most in the areas with the fewest university graduates. Um, 
and the Conservatives continue to do worse in the areas with the most graduates. So there's a sense that that Brexit coalition, which was um, based partly and greatly on educational divides rather than sort of traditional party affiliations, is breaking down. And that was the thing that was so critical to the Tories' 2019 election victory. But it's not all fantastic for Keir Starmer either. So John Curtis, the polling guru, was really interesting, I thought, where he said this result is much more to do with the collapse in the Tory vote than the rise in in the (laughs) Labour vote share. Um, But what's certainly clear is that there's a massive mood for change. That sort of time for a change message really does seem to be cutting through and the people do seem to have had enough of the Tories in this election at least. Um, but Labour hasn't quite sealed the deal. They haven't quite said, made the case that they people want to need to want to change to them. So I think Starmer's got to do more to kind of make that positive pitch that he can change the country in the way people want. But I think from Rishi Sunak's point of view, it's really disastrous for them. So Libby, the, 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 the thing about the combination does create a sort of a bit of a firewall that instead of Tory MPs returning back to Westminster this week and you know, agitating against Rishi Sunak or, or even Labour MPs coming back and, you know, thinking they're marching, you know, creating this sense of momentum. It's sort of been slightly lost in the ether a bit and actually it might just be sort of business as usual. I don't know. I think people did notice. I don't think it was quite a free pass. I think that that desperate row of remaindered prime ministers um, <laughs> standing there um, in, in the Abbey was very noticeable, you know, and the, the one who sort of rejected and sidelined Penny Mordaunt being the one with the sword. I mean, people, you could draw quite a lot of political messages from that. But I think what is absolutely riveting to me is this huge problem of the Liberal Democrats who locally are so good and so well liked in many places. A lot of these um, no overall control councils that you can see on the map, the ones in black on the Times map, I mean they are, that that is because of the Lib Dems um, because they do local things, they have local local bite and people like them and yet somehow we never seem to be able to reflect that nationally they haven't had remotely inspiring leadership for years i mean nick clegg was the best of a a bad bunch you know why cannot with the two main parties have been disgraced one by boris johnson and one by jeremy corbyn uh, you know, why are the Liberal Democrats getting nowhere? It is a mystery. I, I, I rely actually, on you political wonks to tell me why. Well, I wonder whether the fact that nobody knows who Ed Davey is sort of helps them. They're actually, because they they can be whatever they need to be, wherever they're... You know, it is that whole thing. They say different things in different parts of the country. If they are the anti-Tory vote, then it sort of doesn't matter locally. Then it sort of doesn't matter. if you, The last thing you want is a leader who's going around talking about... Um, gay sex being a sin or boasting she's going to be Prime Minister. That's the sort of thing that, that winds people up. Yes, but in a, in a, in a general election, yeah. people do, uh, they, they do think, hang on, who will be the Prime Minister? Is this somebody we can possibly trust? Is this yeah. somebody we even know who it is? So I do think they, they need strong leadership. Yeah, I agree with you about the different things, different parts <laughs> of the country, but I still think they deal with local affairs generally so well when you often have particularly conservative councils really fouling things up and really being on the side of the haves against the have-nots. And you will get these brave little Liberal Democrats. As <laughs> around here, we've had fantastic campaigning from, from um, David Bevan in Southworld. You know, we uh, people people like that. People like to think people care about them and their neighbourhood. Yeah, well, well, 
Well, we'll see. We'll probably need to talk about, just talk about the Liberal Democrats more uh, in the coming months. Um, just talking about uh, being Prime Minister, is Penny Morden going to be Prime Minister or Tory leader? Somebody's just texted in saying, Penny Morden's increased <laughs> her chance of becoming PM because she stood for an hour holding a heavy sword with a where's Liz Truss sitting look on her face. What utter <laughs> nonsense. What do you think, Rachel? I definitely think she's enhanced her reputation. So there were a lot of... Tory members who were very keen on Penny Mordaunt during the Tory leadership contest. But then there was a whole load of dirty tricks. I think it was from the Liz Truss campaign, wasn't it, that made sure she was knocked out. But I think after an election, I can't see them changing or they'd be mad to change before the general election. But I think she'd be in a really strong position. She just looked grown up, didn't she, and dignified and I think, I think it's strong just, honestly, and sensible. <laughs> Rachel, it's just after Boris Johnson, the sight of anybody with perfect dignity, tidy clothes and self-control is a kind of balm to the soul. Exactly. Isn't it? Well, he's got quite a reputation yeah. as a swordsman, but for, for, for different reasons. <laughs> Filth. <laughs> I think, I think it was probably, everyone was thinking if Liz Truss was holding the sword, she'd have probably put it through her foot about five minutes into the, um, into the accommodation. Honestly, Liz Truss turning up uh, oh. as part of that. I liked the fact they split them up as well. So you had sort of John Major, Tony Blair, Gordon Brown, David Cameron, the sort of the, the adult car. And then, uh, and then there was sort of the, the children's table of... Uh, Clown car. Yeah. <laughs> Liz Truss turning up, spent more time picking that hat than she did uh, actually as Prime Minister. Rachel Sylvester and Libby Poe is there. And of course, you can read them in The Times every week. Just get yourself a subscription. Go to thetimes.co.uk forward slash Times Red Box. Up next is the politics of live music. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard. But now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. You're listening to the Redbox Podcast now. It's time for this. The Big Thing on Times Radio. And doesn't it look pristine and beautiful tonight? All thanks. All thanks to His Majesty who was out here weeding at seven this morning. This is just some of the acts at the coronation concert at Windsor Castle on Sunday night. Probably the only place that you'd get, take that, Pete Tong and Andrea Bocelli on the same billing. So we thought today we'd take a look at the state of music, in particular live music in the UK. Uh, we're going to speak to an MP who's chair of the all-party parliamentary group on music. Uh, he's also a guitarist for the band MP4. Uh, Kevin Brennan joins us. Morning, Kevin. Morning. So, um, what? Uh, explain first of all uh, your your role in MP4. How long have you been? Were you a politician or a guitarist first? 
Uh, well, I was a guitarist before I was a politician, but I was a teenager, you know, when, when I started playing guitar. Um, so I wasn't a teenage politician, you'd be glad to know. <laughs> uh, um, that's not how I got my teenage kicks. But um, I'm, um, I'm the, the, the guitarist, singer, songwriter with, with MP4, the Parliamentary Rock Group. I've also made a solo album uh, as well. Um, so although I'm not a full-time professional musician, I, I, I've, uh, you know, done quite a bit yeah. and uh, still enjoy playing with the band. And we are actually... We've just been working it out, coming up to our 20th anniversary, believe it or not. Oh, wow. Well, when that date comes around, we'll get you... Maybe, maybe Can we get you in the studio? Maybe we'll try and get, yeah. try and get you in the studio. Now, Definitely. I'm, I'm busy trying to try fix up a big uh, a big celebratory gig before their general election. Oh, very good. Very good. So, Kevin, with your sort of parliamentary political hat on, what for you... How would you sum up the state, particularly the live music industry right now? There's been a lot of talk about how it's got harder, particularly to tour post-Brexit. Obviously, venues are struggling with the cost of living. Some of them are shutting. What is the state of the live music industry right now? Yeah, it's took a massive hit from Brexit. It took a massive hit from uh, COVID. No question about that. So on the Brexit front, for listeners' um, sort of, you know, uh, information, that the problem is that UK musicians used to be able to freely tour as did european musicians into the uk before brexit and uh, it's much more complicated now where you can still tour but it's expensive it's bureaucratic uh, and in some cases is an embarrassment because people get turned away at our borders who are just coming over here to play and i don't remember seeing on the side of, of a bus someone saying you know we need to stop all these musicians coming over here entertaining our people and vice versa so that's a that's been a bit of a problem uh, and also, obviously, you know, during during COVID, there was no live music for quite a considerable period of time. Uh, some places closed down, some survived, but are struggling to get audiences back in because they've lost some of their audiences as yeah. a result. Uh, so, um, you know, it's been a tough time for musicians. There's a lot of things going on that have, have negatively impacted on what is one of our great success stories as a country. Let's bring in Vic Bain. She's the founder of the F-List, which is a directory of female musicians in the UK. She's also a former president of the Independent Society of Musicians. Hi, Vic. Hi there. Nice to meet you. What have you heard from uh, the musicians you work with about their ability to, to tour both in the UK and abroad? It's it, Well, for some musicians, it's been quite devastating. Uh, through the ISM, we've done various bits of, uh, of research into, into this. We've got uh, a survey out right now actually to do an update. But the last uh, the last piece of research two years ago was, you know, was giving quite a dismal picture. As Kevin says, you know, lots of musicians uh, can't tour, have their ability to tour for an extended period of time re reduced. And that has a devastating impact on musicians' incomes, especially those at the grassroots level. I, you know, I think if we're talking superstars, it's fine. They can pay their way out. But for those just starting up, it's uh, it's a really dismal picture. And I suppose there's a risk then, Vic, that you don't get the superstars of the future if, if the, there's a whole, you know, the pipeline of talent coming through just isn't there. Exactly. Exactly. We're really, um, you know, there's many things going on in the music industry, which I think we're not going to see the true impact of until 10, 15, 20 years down the line. And Kevin, from a sort of policy point of view, what could the government be doing to try and make life easier for those trying to tour? 
Well, um, you know, first of all, I think when the uh, comprehensive sort of trade agreement is is renegotiated with the EU, they need to put this in the mandate for that renegotiation to try and get, you know, free touring going on again around Europe. I mean, there's some great work being done by people like Naomi Pohl from the Musicians Union and Dave Webster at the MU, which mean that, you know, there's some clarification and there's some work being done with other individual countries. But what we really need is a comprehensive agreement that we can go back to that situation. That's not free movement of labor. We're not going back on Brexit by that. It's what the government promised actually in before its Brexit negotiations would be the outcome. So we need that to happen. Uh, I want to praise some of the work actually Vic has done in, in promoting women in, you know, in, in our music industry, in the live music industry, in particular at festivals and other lineups to make sure that it's, you know, that we, we do promote the talent that we have, whatever their, their, their background and gender and so on. So that sort of thing is the industry can do itself can can make improvements. And I think support for small grassroots music venues is really important. They are the research and development, the R&D of the music industry, if you like. And as you say, Matt, that's where the next generation of talent's going to come from. And we've also got to look at the horizon at some of the big tech changes that are coming on that can be opportunities, but also big challenges uh, for music. And including in that is AI and artificial intelligence. But that's a whole other <laughs> discussion, which I suspect, I suspect we'll have on another occasion. Well, we might try to come on to that. The other thing, Vic, is that if, if touring, if performing live becomes prohibitively expensive, you then only get and this is true with lots of industries, probably the media as well, you only get a certain type of person who's either got money themselves or family members who'll support them while they, they pursue their dreams. So it sort of skews the the politics and the outlook of the sort of music we're getting if it's all coming from people who are sort of essentially independently wealthy. Well, we're seeing that already, actually, yeah. in, in, my, in my research. I'm doing a PhD looking at women's careers in music. Uh, and we already know that being a, a musician is one of the most privileged occupations in the UK. There's been you know, very good research into the, um, uh, you know, the inability of the working classes to be able to start their careers and sustain their careers in, in music compared to the middle classes. And things like Brexit, you're absolutely right, are just going to exacerbate that. Um, and, and Kevin, are you concerned about that? Because, you know, so much music, you know, over the past probably half century, you know, came from working class people performing in rooms above pubs and suddenly taking off. Or am I over-romanticising it? Uh, no, you know, I think that is absolutely true. And that's why the British music industry, you know, spread across the world, because it drew talent, you know, from, you know, the, the, you know, the, if you look at the Beatles, you look at the, all these bands uh, in those days, you know, they, they weren't from sort of, you know, privileged backgrounds. Uh, except they might have had the privilege, you know, of, of growing up in Liverpool or whatever, but that, but not the sort of typical privileged backgrounds. And it is a real concern. And if you look at education, there's been a sort of de-emphasizing uh, of music and creative education in state schools. But if you go to any sort of private school around the country, you'll find the most fantastic music facilities, yeah. recording facilities, drama studios. You know, they understand that creativity is a huge part of an education and if you want a rounded proper education you need an education in in, in create you know in the creative subjects uh, and yet uh, it, you know the government over the last 13 years has de-emphasized the arts including music and drama and so on and i think that's a big mistake because actually this all translates ultimately into 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 economic power as well as soft power you know britain's one of only two countries in the world that actually has a net export 
uh, a surplus in in the music industry, and there's a good reason for that. Um, so I think Vic's absolutely right. We do need to look at both the issue of women in the music industry, but also the issue of of of, of class. Let's bring in now uh, Sam Guinness. Sam Guinness is in a folk band which performs around Wiltshire. Hi, Sam. Hi, Matt. How are you? Are very good. Are very good. Tell us about your band and where you play and how you find it. Um, so we just sort of started as a as a folk band playing in in the, like trying to just play in some of the local pubs, um, and it's been going for about a year. But one of my jobs in the band has been to sort of find new pubs and try and branch out a bit. But all that I found was um, pubs that aren't really that interested anymore, um, and I think the culture has shifted to pubs being a bit more focused on being restaurants. Um, yeah, so like whenever I would approach them, they would just they'd either just tuck us away in a corner um, <laughs> and just sort of like not be not be at all interested in the in the fact that we're providing some free entertainment or maybe asking for a pint or two. So this isn't even you, you know. It's not even, we're not even at the stage of the conversation we have about trying to make money or tour internationally. Mm. This is literally just trying to find a venue venues to play in for nothing, and and yeah. those, those real real grassroots first rung on the ladder venues aren't there. Yeah, and that's, that's sort of how I learned to play as well, in front of people, was in pubs. Yeah. Um, and so, and I think without that avenue, I, I never really would have got any, would have sort of got much confidence of, to be able to play bigger venues, which um, my new band is is playing. So um, what, so I think what, they are, really. What's your band called, Sam, if, uh, um, if people want to book you? The new band is called Dead Pages. Dead Pages, very nice. <laughs> And and, and and describe us what you're what you're what you're like if there's someone listening and they run a pub and they want to put you on in the Wiltshire area. Um, we play like traditional the traditional songbook, traditional old folk songs, and a bit of American country nice. um, creeps in, a bit of wagon wheel and all of those um, sort of classics. Uh, and we yeah we, we, when we started out we had sort of ten sheets of paper each and we no one knew the words and the lyrics that were. <laughs> They're really tight now, so yeah, it's, it's so much fun. Oh, well. good! You're good now. Perfect. We're good now. Yeah. Good. Did any of you watch the Coronation concert last night? Talking of people at the very, you know, at the very top. Um, Vic, what did you make of that? Yeah, I just, I just saw the highlights. Uh, you know, it's interesting. We're talking, talking about the power of music. Music was at the heart of the whole weekend's celebrations at the Coronation. So, um, yeah, I think, you know, I think that was a good, a good move by King Charles. In terms of um, other uh, big music uh, venues, um, sorry, big music events, Vic, looking like the Glastonbury Headliners, uh, Elton John, Guns N' Roses, the Arctic Monkeys, uh, there's some anger about that being an all-male headliner. Is that an outlier? Are things changing? Or is this still, is that indicative of of a wider problem? It it is indicative. In fact, Glaston, Glastonbury Festival tend to do um, nowadays do better on on equality on uh, certainly in terms of gender on their stages. But the headliners was a real disappointment this year. But research um, recent research is showing that in in fact, I think with all musicians on stage this summer, it's anticipated only eleven percent of the musicians on stage are going to be women. So it's a huge issue. And what 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 can be done about that, Vic? Well, people need to look at the F-list music yeah. directory and book more Very women. Good. The women are out there. And the thing that Sam was saying about trying to st- struggling to find venues to you know to get your first foot on the ladder does that does that ring true with 
with you and the, the musicians you're working with? Well, there are there are loads of festivals yeah. and uh, event organisers. There are thousands. There are there are in fact there are organisations. I was just thinking. I know I know one uh, organisation called Giground who who work with uh, with rest, restaurants and and bars to get to get live music into into those places. So you know there are solutions out there. Um, I would recommend that he uh, connect with other yeah. people in the music industry, and uh, yeah, make you know make make his network, make his connections. Is that is that useful to you, Sam? Did you know about that? Yeah, that is. Yeah, I think um, using the connections is how uh, is how we've made uh, any progress um, so far. So, um, yeah, I think that's good advice. Thank you. And Kevin, when we look at how uh, new acts come through, is there really a role for government in that, or is it should it be more of an organic thing rather than having we talk about in other industries? You can't have ministers picking and choosing winners and so on. But is it just about getting out of the way, or, or should should ministers be more proactive in this? Bit of both, I think. It can't be organic, you know, if you actually have put in lots of barriers to it. You know, so so clearly there is a role for government sometimes to get out of the way, perhaps by not over-regulating, you know, small music venues and so on, but also to be supportive in policy terms and to see that music is, you know, makes a massive contribution to our culture, to our economy, as Vic said, hugely featured in a coronation. Absolutely. And seeing the quality of some of the musicianship there is absolutely breathtaking. So, uh, you know, and government has a role in education policy. It's got a role in policies around small music venues, rate relief, supporting those sorts of things around tickets, around music streaming, all the aspects of music actually are in, influenced by government policy. So I do understand when people say, oh, well, what's it got to do with the government? But actually, when you look into it, there are lots and lots of things, you know, whether it's what 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 our border guards do at the border when musicians are coming to visit our country, you know, or any loads of things that are actually influenced by government attitude towards uh, music and towards the creative industries. So let's pick up fun and let's pick up uh, some acts we should be keeping an eye out for. Vic, who's your current on your current watch list? Oh gosh, who am I listening to? I've well, actually, I've been listening to a really great Irish folk band called uh, Lancome. That's been um, yeah uh, on my on my CD player repeatedly all, all weekend. CD? You're listening to CDs? Yes, I do. I still buy CDs because you know they get they get more money. Um, uh, I think you know yeah they streaming. get. Exactly. So I still, yeah, still purchase hard copy. Plus, I can play it in my in my car. Very good, very good. Well, I think we can now. We're now joined by uh, uh, Brendan from Wheatus. Brendan B. Brown, are you there? I I Hurrah! think I am. Can Can you hear me? All right. You are there. This is excellent news. Uh, all now, right, great. Now, now, Brendan, we've been talking about the state of the music industry. We've heard from Sam, who's like trying to get gigs in in pubs and struggling. You're sort of at the other end of the of the telescope, if you like, and you've done big tours and so on. Sum up for you, and you're, you're, I think you're coming back to the, the UK this September. How is it from your perspective, the live music uh, world in in Britain right now? Uh, it's a, it's a big rebuild. It seems. Um, I think that we're going to, we, you know, we remember how to do it, but between Brexit and the, a few venues losing their, their, uh, their, their storefront, I think, think we're going to have to retool the whole thing. So um, it's, it's not starting over quite. We're the luckiest band in the world. It's not like that for us, but it is, it is a bit different. We always hire UK-based crew and tour buses and everything. So we're gonna, we're really trying to figure it out. It's a it's a it's a new game. So what explains some some of those barriers that you are trying to figure out right now? Well, of course, when you come over, 
you have to have an international shipping manifest, a carne, right? And it's like a passport for your gear. And we've always sort of made the point to do this correctly, properly. We never try and skirt or cut short, shortcuts or anything. So we, it's, it's a complicated process that we're realizing now is about to be quite a bit more complicated. <laughs> so um, I'm on the phone with our booking agent in the UK. Um, I'm on the phone with our UK crew. They're based in Liverpool. Um, our tour bus guy who's been with us for 15 years, he lost his company during Brexit and the, and the pandemic, a company that he had inherited from his father in the 60s called Star Cruiser Busing. Um, this is a family business that no longer exists. So he's going to drive us again, but he's, he's also trying you know, jumping through hoops to get a bus and do the whole thing again, which is really like, it's really like everyone's just taking the chips and throwing them on the floor and said, okay, now pick it up and do what you used to do, you know? It's really interesting that there's the sort of the, the, the component parts of you going on tour. It's not just you and your, your, your kit. It's how that kit gets to places. It's the crew. It's the, it's the tour bus. Um, yeah, and they have to, the personnel have to be trusted. Yeah. Right? You just can't go pick somebody up and go do this. This has to have experience behind it. This has to have people who know the way. And, you know, you can't screw up out there. It's like dominoes. If one, if one show gets screwed up, the budget starts to fall apart. And before you know it, you're trapped in a foreign land with no money. And so if we went back sort of 20 years uh, when, when Wheatus was sort of starting out, would, you, would Wheatus be Wheatus now in, this, in, no. in these circumstances? Certainly not. No, We're, we we've uh, we've trimmed it down through the decades, made it smaller, lighter, leaner, faster, more nimble. Um, you have to do that. Uh, I what well, I worry the most about UK bands who are just getting started. Let's say you have your first hit in Europe, right? How do you do that as a first band? I know how to do it. I I have capital to spend, a little bit of capital to spend to get started on a tour. But if you have nothing. And you're going from zero and you suddenly have that moment in Germany, say, and you've got to get there and you've got to get it done properly with the crew and so on. Oh, man, Uh, it just I would be terrified to be in that position right now. And so what what can be done about it? What would be your solution to some of those problems? Rejoin the union. Come on. <laughs> I mean, what did you do? You shot yourselves in the foot, in my opinion. I mean, I, I, thought, I thought Americans were the stupidest on the planet. And, you know, like, like the, the, I think Brexit was a terrible idea. And, and, and it's, 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 it's got to be, it's got to be undone. It really does in some manner, you know, admit the mistake and, and get it back the way it was. Or maybe you're right. Maybe, I mean, I think us fully rejoining the EU is probably unlikely in the foreseeable future but well they thought you leaving was unlikely too but it happens but 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 trying to remove some of the 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 obstacles that this has put in the way the form filling and the costs which make right, it it's all contracts anyway yeah. right whether it's us touring or or you guys at, with a trade deal with the with other countries in your region it's all it's all contracts so you get the contracts right and you can get people flowing you know sovereignty for for the for the and uh, and uh, you know federalism for me is not going to work, right? You gotta you gotta have you gotta have some kind of a everyone's got to have access. Everyone's got to be able to start, especially music. I mean, it's not like the UK ever exported any music, right? <laughs> no, very 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 poor at that. Uh, now, uh, Brendan, when when can people see you, and where will you be? Uh, oh man, two months worth of touring: United Kingdom, Ireland. Um, it's happening in September through November. If you go to weedus.com forward slash shows, you'll see the whole layout. 
We're doing, oh boy, what is it up to? It's over 40 dates at this point. Wow. Very few days off. Um, as many as we can. Your a lot favorite, of them sold out already. So where's your up. where's your favorite place to play in the UK? Woo, it's gotta be Scotland. Um, but but Wales is a close second. It's, it's Le- tough. There's so, so many England, little nooks and crannies. England is your least favorite place. Well, there's a place <laughs> called Tunbridge Wells. Let me tell you about Royal Tunbridge Wells, right? <laughs> um, th- this place, you would never guess, has the most punk rock DIY venue in it of all time. Wow. Right? Yeah, it's, it, it, it's sold out in seven hours. And the reason is because of the time that we have when we're there, right? So this is the thing, like this is why you can't mess with this. This is like messing with nature, you know, like if, if something sprouts up like that, you want to nurture it. You want that to be the place where things can grow, especially art or music. You want them to have an Avenue. You don't want to shut them down and make them start over again. Cause it's too hard to get it started up. It's really, you know, it's like, um, I had a biologist tell me one time, don't ever lift up a rock in the forest. It takes 20 years for it to be suitable for the creatures underneath. You know, that's like a rock club, you know, <laughs> What a lovely way of putting it. Who knew Tunbridge Wells is a hotbed of punk? I'm sorry, Royal. Royal Tunbridge Wells. Royal Tunbridge Wells. So having talked a lot about music, let's return to our battle of the political bands. Times Radio listeners were whittling them down. We started off with 12. We ended up with four. And these were the finalists. The battle of the political bands. It was the statutory instruments against Tory MP Chris Loder on the organ, Ben Bradley on guitar, and two girls, one harp. After a whopping 567 votes, it's gone viral on, that's talking about going viral on a bank holiday one day, with an astonishing 50.4% of the votes, the winner is. Statutory Instruments! <laughs> Kathy Newman, congratulations! The winner of the, right. the first ever Times Radio Battle of the Political Bands. I'm, I'm, I might have to do a kind of Gwyneth Paltrow esque acceptance speech. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm honoured. I'm stunned. <laughs> I'm quite emotional. Um, it feels like the culmination of everything we've worked for. <laughs> uh, what can I say? Do you it's, need to thank everyone else in your? Do you need to thank everyone else in the band? Yeah, thanks, thanks for the prompting. Yeah, I say we have Thangam Debonair on the cello, MP, yep. amazing cellist. We have Catherine Chiba on viola, incredible viola player. And you know all the gags in the classical music world about viola players. Well, none of them apply to Catherine because she's superb. And then we have Emily Benn on first violin. And they're all brilliant. And that's all we've got time for on the pod today. Don't forget to hit subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes and get in touch by emailing matt at times.radio. But for now, for me, Matt Chorley, it's goodbye. Goodbye. 